Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. This week on the podcast, we have a special holiday edition with Ken Gordon and Chelsea Bell of Gordon's Fine Wine and Liquors. As we enter the holiday season, uh, a lot of us have invites uh, to events that we want to attend and bring something. A lot of us have gifts that we want to purchase. A lot of us are hosting. And we thought, what better way to help prepare you for that than to talk to Ken and Chelsea? Ken has taken charge of developing the spirits department for Gordon's, which has four stores in the Boston area. Chelsea's a certified sommelier. They have a lot to offer. Uh, so let's dive right into it. Uh, welcome to Wealthy Behavior, Ken and Chelsea. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. So first question I, I kind of want to ask because I've, I've waded into this myself personally, are there value points or price points in wine where, you, you know, you want to be in terms of quality. Um, and maybe if you're not too discerning of a wine buyer or wine drinker, you know, there's kind of diminishing returns once you get over a, a certain bottle price. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say like, what's interesting about this time in wine is there's so many different regions, varietals available to us. So you actually can get really great wine these days. I'd say um, starting in the teens, in terms of price points and going up. Okay. Um, but as you definitely go up in terms of price point, there's a couple things to keep in mind. There's real estate, for example, Napa Valley, one of the most expensive places to grow grapes or Burgundy in France are always going to have typically higher price wines. And then it's the um, amount of ageability too for some of the red wines. Um, even just aging a wine in oak barrels is going to increase the price point of the wine. So with Gordon's, we actually focus on a little bit more of like what we call like an old world wine program, where we do focus more heavily on some of the kind of classic areas in France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and beyond. I usually find that like for some of those like kind of great everyday price points. Sometimes a lot of the European regions have sometimes a little bit better offerings, like from Spain, Italy, um, especially Southern France, as opposed to California, where I love to drink wine from. But sometimes I feel like if I was to compare a $15 bottle out of California versus a $15 bottle red blend out of Southern France, I usually can find a little bit of better quality um, just because sometimes it's working with a smaller producer um, and so you just find a little bit more quality there. Great. Thank you for that. And then Ken, the other question I want to get out of the way up front, because it's kind of been driving me crazy. What's with the bourbon craze right now? <laughs> you can't stop it. It is full steam ahead and there's no slowing it down. Uh, but if you think you're going to come into uh, any shop around these parts of Massachusetts and ask the shopkeeper for a bottle of Pappy or Weller, or Blanton's, uh, good luck finding one. It comes in uh, small quantities around here, and we give them out to our quality customers in a fair, fair way. How long has this been going on, this bourbon collecting phase? Is this like a COVID thing, or has it no, been- No, I mean, it really highlighted it in the COVID times uh, with the smaller groups, bunch of friends getting together, starting to um, do weekly meetups uh, virtually, sending out samples to one another. 
But really about eight years ago is when the bourbon boom really started to take off. Uh, more retailers started to get into the single barrel programs and the the educational part came with it. So the consumer is getting a lot smarter uh, when they are shopping and looking for bourbon. Well, I have fortunately not been wrapped up in that craze, which you're telling me is a good thing because I wouldn't be able to get my hands on all the things that I want to get my hands on. But uh, I've definitely seen a lot of people heading in that uh, direction. So let, let's kick it off. I mean, you're going to Thanksgiving dinner um, and you want to bring bring a nice gift uh, and you're, you know, red, white, spirits. What what What's popular these days? What would you recommend to people who are trying to impress their in-laws on a budget? Um, well, always know what the hosts host likes to drink and what your what your uh, your crowd is. Good point. Yep. So, you know, whether that be bourbon, like we've been talking about, everyone's at the tequila right now, um, and then gins. Um, holiday time is a great time to celebrate with family, but also enjoy some nice cocktails. So, with spirits, um, you can get a lot of uh, crowd pleasing uh, cocktails with apple cider bourbons or French seventy sevens. Um, hot toddies, things that keep you warm during the uh, the colder times. With wine too, similar to what Ken said, it's really interesting, like being a wine nerd myself, sometimes it's easy to want to, you know, pick something that's going to pair perfectly with the meal or something that you're geeking out about. But it is super important, as Ken mentioned, to like know who you're bringing wine or the gift or spirits right. to. Right. Because sometimes like even though with turkey, for example, a style of wine called Beaujolais can always be a really great pairing, but like maybe the person that you're bringing wine to is a cab drinker, but I'm going to go with the cab. I'm going to bring them something that they would enjoy, or maybe something that has a similar flavor profile. Um, so that's, I think one of the most important things. And then I love to bring wines too, personally for people that sometimes I've traveled to some of the vineyards, they have a great story behind them. If that's something that might be, um, exciting for the host. And then things too, depending on if it's uh, bringing it something that's going to be open that night for a crowd of people, something that's going to be once again, crowd pleasing and maybe not as geeky as it would be if I was just drinking it myself or sharing it with one other person. So those are certain things that I usually keep in mind. Yeah, that's great. So give us some ideas if we're walking around the store and we're completely lost, like, Hey, which bottle of gin versus that one bourbon, you know, red wine, white, you know, what, what are, what are some things that you're finding that I guess is accessible to people, right? Regardless of where you are, you have a pretty good shot at, at finding them and, and things that you'd recommend this year. So I'd say definitely around like Thanksgiving, it's always like really fun um, if you're going to go into the white wine world. Um, I love to go with like dry Riesling personally. I think that that's like a really fun place to start. And it can be something too that can be exciting to convert people who think that they don't like Riesling. Yep. So there's a lot of bridles out there that can be quite polarizing. Riesling and Chardonnay, definitely two of them. And so we have a great producer named like Peter Lauer here who makes wonderful Rieslings out of the Mosul. I actually just picked a couple bottles for a tasting that I'm doing tonight. Um, and he makes a variety of dryer style Rieslings that are okay. kind of up and coming producer, but really cool, beautiful wines with really great acidity that will help cleanse your palate for any type of dish out there that's richer. Um, as usually high acid wines will help break down any kind of fatty dishes and make you still feel really thirsty afterwards. Um, I also love to do too on the red wine side of things. Uh, I'd mentioned Cru Beaujolais tends to be one of the most popular options for Thanksgiving as it's a lighter red wine from a grape called Gamay in the region of Beaujolais, just south of Burgundy in Eastern France. 
And what's cool about it is you can give it a slight chill and it can pair well with everything on the Thanksgiving table. Thanksgiving, I think, is one of the most challenging holidays because you not only have the turkey, but you have so many different side dishes. So there's a lot going on. You can totally do sparkling white, red, rosé with Thanksgiving. There's a lot of pairing options there, but Cru Beaujolais can be quite wonderful. Um, and we have a ton of different producers in stock that we're really excited about. Um, one of it, which is a producer named Chateau Tevin, which is from an importer we love working with named Kermit Lynch, and they make a range of really great Beaujolais. So I, I know you said, which was great advice, factor in what your uh, host and family like to drink and so I'll, I'll ask this question, keeping that in mind, are there any challenging wine pairing attempts around Thanksgiving time that you just would say, you know what, don't try that one. It's, it's not going to be great. At the end of the day, I think what's most important to think about with pairings is I can once again, get like geeky about like what will actually work well. But if you enjoy your food and you enjoy the wine that you're drinking, like you're, you're going to be happy. Um, so certain people too are going to like certain things that I might say might not always like go together, but that's okay if they're happy with the choice. And the company for and that the matter. Company too. Yeah. The company yeah. Always highlight your food and beverage. Exactly. So like, for example, like I, I wouldn't pick something typically for Thanksgiving that's too full bodied for red wine. So I maybe might not choose like Syrah or Cabernet Sauvignon because they're a little more fuller bodied and a little more tannic and it's just a little bit of a lighter overall meal. But that being said, if you have a great cab and you want to whip it out for Thanksgiving, like you do you. And that's part of, I think what's, what's fun about it. But I like to recommend too, for like a fuller bodied red wine option, that's not going to be too tannic. It like goes down really easily. A lot of um, really great California Zinfandels can be a really good bet. Okay, great. And Ken, on the spirits side, what, what are you recommending? Yeah, I always go by rule of thumb. You know, when customers come in, they're looking for a nice gift. You know, you should know your host, know what kind of house you're walking into, know what they drink currently, um, and then find something that they wouldn't normally go out and grab themselves. Um, you know, for us, it's single barrels. You know, we do about 40 unique single barrels from around the world each year. So if you are a bourbon drinker, we have plenty of barrels for you, bourbon, rye. If you like rum, we have rum barrels, scotch, um, and tequila too. Tequila is a big category right now. And we have a lot of great mezcals and single barrel tequilas available. So, you know, know what your, your host likes to drink, what the company likes to drink, and uh, they will enjoy it at the end of the day. Explain single barrel a little bit more, Ken. What, what's unique about that? Sure. Our single barrel program is based on uh, us going down to Kentucky, mul Kentucky multiple times a year and going to the distilleries and tasting through a select number of barrels. And we pick based on what we think our consumer is going to enjoy the most at the end of the day. So these are unique barrels, one of a kind. You can't find this uh, expression uh, uh, from this respective distillery anywhere else in the world besides here at Gordon's. You know, you're trusting the, the, the store, you're trusting the, the research that you've done. Um, if you're not near a Gordon's, is there something you can do as a gift that's unique in, in the spirit space? To Is there an equivalent that, that you could be looking for if you, I'll, I'll use the example rum, you, you, your father-in-law loves rum and you want to do something that you think is going to be unique? There's great brands out there all around. You know, rum's been an emerging category for the past couple of years. So, you know, there's great brands like Plantation, 
chairman's reserve goslings um you know then there's a you know private barrel niche stuff from martinique from clements and from rolling fork got it and any that you'd like to highlight uh, outside of rum in, in any of the spirit space uh, for tequila resperol is truly like geeky uh tequila made in very limited forms by single producers so it's a co-op where uh the company is selecting unique runs of the spirit to bottle uh in a very again limited fashion on the scotch side uh Loch Lomond is a small highland producer one of the most versatile distilleries in all of Scotland and they do amazing amazing uh work there we have a 15 year old sherry cask first fill if you like big sherry bombs that's your go to all right i love it thank you so much for for that so let's say now we're getting deeper into the holiday season and where, you know, the, the menu varies, right? Because it's not traditional Thanksgiving dinner. It's, you know, whatever you're celebrating and whatever you're serving for that dinner. What are appropriate gift ideas, concepts uh, around the holidays when you're not as, you know, defined by a, a certain holiday and a certain menu? The thing that I always love to provide to people who enjoy it is sparkling as I think that that's like always a really festive way to kick off the evening. It doesn't necessarily have to be champagne. It can be Proseccos. It can be Cava's. Um, but something also cool that we have here at Gordon's, which kind of personalizes things, is we have a bottle engraving here. So it's just like a cool way to take your gift up to the next level. You could have like a fun little inside joke with the host, if that's appropriate. You could have a nice like inscription that's for the holidays. And I think it's a really cool way to, to be able to do something unique. Yeah, and, so not just the drink, but to personalize it a little bit uh, as well. And with the gift baskets that we can create too, it's always nice to add, you know, some glasses, uh, glassware to it, uh, some chocolates, and even uh, like the rocks, whiskey rocks, um, always a nice little gift. Like, for example, too, if you know that someone loves a specific cocktail, you could put together a basket for them of all the ingredients they could use to make that to cocktail, make cocktail or maybe yeah. even like right, an yeah. amplified version. Um, you know, using if it's specific Manhattan or something along those lines, using a really nice maraschino cherry or something special. Um, there's just like a lot of really great kind of personalized add-ons to make it like a really special, meaningful gift for them. Well, you opened the door to this because one question I was going to ask you is to help make sense of all the different types of bubbly or sparkling yeah. uh, wine, you know, champagne, Prosecco, Cava. What what are they? What's the difference? What do they all mean? Um, so, Okay. Sparkling wine is, is a really fun category. And of course, champagne is going to be kind of like the creme de la creme of sparkling wine. Champagne, of course, has to come from the Champagne wine region in France, which is one of the most northern regions in France. And it typically comes from three grapes, um, sometimes blended together, sometimes on their own. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, two of which are red grapes. But a lot of times they're just pressed so that the juice that comes out is clear. Hence, by most, champagne is not red. And it's made with the second fermentation in the bottle, which is going to give it the effervescence. And it has a minimum aging requirement of 14 months. Though that is for non-vintage champagnes. There's a lot of what are called vintage champagnes that only declare a vintage or year on the front of the label when the year is very good. And that sometimes has about 36 months of aging. So you could just even imagine from the amount of aging that a lot of champagne has, typically the price point starts at around $35 to $40. Okay really work your way up from there. 
and get really wild in terms of price point. So you have that, then you have different styles of sparkling wine made in that same method with the second fermentation in the bottle. Like for example, there's a great California producer that we carry called Schramsberg, which makes um, sparkling wines in that same method, what's called the method traditional outside of France. Um, or would, I, would I be able to tell the difference in between a, a bottle of that and a bottle of champagne or well, it depends some some people can and some people can't they're both great like Schramsberg's an exceptional producer um we carry a ton of champagne producers for example Tattinger um they're both great wines the terroir the sense of place is different the temperatures are different the soils are different so sometimes there are minute differences that you can taste and they can both be um, exceptional wines it just depends on okay your flavor profile and, and what what you enjoy wine's always very subjective um so i always like to say everybody really should go with you know their gut instinct on on how they enjoy something and we all enjoy different things differently That's yeah i think i was trying to get at like would it just feel like a different drink or is the champagne just based on the region where it's made and the process but you can get something very comparable that's not going to have that name on it and just be aware that, you know, it might not be too different. Climate there is so unique. So you might like, especially too, with it being, um, you know, such a cooler climate area, it's not always going to be exactly the same, but you can definitely find things that are similar. And I always like to say, if, if there are people who are looking for sparkling wines outside of Champagne in France, there's a lot of really great um, sparkling wines. They're referred to as cremants. So C-R-E-M-A-N-T. And that just indicates that it's made in the same method as champagne, but coming outside of the champagne wine region in France. So you can usually find sparkling wines at half the price from the Loire Valley or from Burgundy. Um, so it's definitely a really cool thing to look for. That's so you have that yeah. in terms of style. You have Prosecco, um, which comes from Northern Italy. So most Prosecco should always come from the Veneto and Friuli Venezia Giulia up in the Northeastern corner. And the second fermentation, which makes that wine is actually done in a big stainless steel tank. Um, so it usually creates a little less atmosphere pressure in the bottle. And it creates a wine that has a little less effervescence and it's meant to be drunk fresh and young and like kind of youthful. It's um, coming from a grape called Glera, which is not as kind of fun a name as Prosecco. So they didn't always put that on the label, but Prosecco and Glera are, are synonymous with, another, with one another. And you can usually find Prosecco very reasonably priced um, in that anywhere from that 10 to 30-ish dollar price point. And once you get to the highest level of Prosecco, it's what's called in Italy a DOCG style Prosecco, which just comes from smaller little areas that are on the kind of tops of little hilltops. And they come from smaller vineyard sites. And they can be a little more complex, but still very light and fresh. I might be totally making this up or it might be in my head, but is Prosecco sweeter? than champagne and the other sparkling wines? It can be because of the fact that Prosecco is much more of like a mass commodity sparkling wine, especially when you get into the entry level styles of Prosecco that are quite available in the market. It sometimes does have a little bit more sugar added like towards the end for some of the like more kind of mass market Prosecco options. But a lot of the Proseccos that we carry from smaller producers are, are definitely very dry but it's more like fruit forward in terms of like kind of fun, light, bright fruit, as opposed to champagnes, usually much more like toasty 
in terms of like the flavor profile. So lastly, cava will be defined as it, cava translates in Spanish to cellar. Um, so it's a Spanish sparkling wine. The majority of it comes from the Penedas region of Spain. So right around where Barcelona lies on the map. And it is also made in the same way as champagne with the second fermentation in the bottle. But you can find um, a lot of really great reasonably priced options because the minimum aging requirements are typically nine months for cava. So you can find it once again, starting usually in around that $10 price point and working its way up. There's a lot of producers in cava who really want to distinguish themselves and be a little bit of a higher, higher end offering. So there's a new area that was designated called Corpinot, which is like a small area within the Penedas where there's a small handful of producers. And we did a cool seminar with a producer named Gramona a couple months ago, which was just like awesome just to see what they're doing there with vintage offerings. And those wines, you know, range in the kind of 40 to $60 price point. So in comparison to a good champagne, that's kind of nothing. So there's a lot of value to be had out there um, with sparkling wine categories. And a lot of the sparkling wine producers we're working with overall are working on making drier style sparkling wines. I always like to say, feel a lot better. If you have a couple glasses, you wake up the next morning, you don't feel like you want to die. All right. So you guys geek out on this stuff, which is great. So I'm going to put you on the spot. If I wanted to get a quality value champagne, Prosecco and sparkling wine, you know, how much am I paying? And are there a couple of ideas? Yeah, I'd say in terms of champagne, um, there's a great like producer that we do a ton of work with that we kind of like refer to it as our one of our house champagnes. There's a producer called Moutard Perifi, and it's just their straight non-vintage option, which we usually sell for about anywhere between $35 and $40. So it's a great kind of entry-level price point um, and really good quality. We do like to work, if possible, with some of the smaller producers out there because we find you just get great quality and we love working with family-owned domains. Um, in terms of Prosecco, there's like a producer that I'm obsessed with that we do a lot of work with called Adriano Adami. And what's really cool is we have like an entry-level Prosecco from them called the Garbel, which is around $15 price point. And then they have what I was talking about, that kind of second level up, the DOCG style Prosecco, which we have a couple different um, styles from them. That's in like the low 20s for price point. So still super reasonable and pretty awesome. So let's crank it up. Now let's say yeah. you just had the best year ever and yeah. you want to, you want to treat yourself to, you know, an amazing bottle of wine with friends. You want to treat yourself to, um, you know, I know spirits is a big category, but you know, just something that you uh, have had recently that you think, you know what, people haven't had enough of this. And um, if they get it, they're really going to be into it. What, what are they buying? Ooh, we have a lot of those options here. Uh, definitely Krug is something that I always find to be like pretty awesome for a champagne producer. Um, usually like a bigger kind of rounder, toastier style that is pretty like exciting in my life um, whenever I am able to, to enjoy it. So that's always like something if I'm looking to ball out a little bit, like that's usually where I'm, where I'm looking to go. Um, whether it be just their straight, like non-vintage options or their rosé. Rosé champagne can be extremely exciting experience. Um, and then some of their single vineyard options as well. Um, so that's always going to be kind of the place where I go to. But we have a, a ton of different, um, what are called like tete de cuvées available. I'd say like the last couple of years, it's been a little challenging for the champagne market just because there's so much more demand coming from all different areas. And I'd say that covid really made it so that um, everybody started to get into fine wine, similar to yep. spirits. 
we found tons of demand in areas that we never, you know, had people looking for before. So whenever we get champagne in, it goes out the door pretty quickly, but we keep on bringing more and more in. Um, and another uh, producer that I always love, which I think is reasonably priced, but high quality is like Bruin Art as well. Um, something that I always enjoy giving as a gift too. We have their straight Blanc de Blanc and their Rosé and those range in that like 80 to $100 price point um, and are always super elegant looking gifts to give as they have this beautiful kind of more bulbous shaped bottle um, and they're just really delicious. And then Kenla, we're walking into the spirit section now and you know, the, the world is our oyster. We want to celebrate. What are, what, what's good? What, what do you treat yourself with? I mean, for me, I'm a peat head. That means I love really smoky scotch whiskey. So I'm going for a Laphroaig. I'm going for an Ardbeg, something that really has a little powerful bite to it. But when you sit down, it just warms you inside. <laughs> so um, Ardbeg, you know, for me is my usual go-to. Uh, we have Ardbeg 19 year old right now, batch four available which is an absolutely stunning scotch whiskey. And then on the, you know, the non-peated side, even for a blend, Dewar's 25 uh, is a fantastic whiskey as well. Uh, if you're going to veer, veer off from the scotch side and go to tequila, brands like La Luna Mezcal, it's again, single vineyard co-ops uh, from different agave plants. There's over 2000 types of agave in the world especially in uh, Oaxaca. So you can imagine how many varietals of tequila and mezcal you can get from that. Would you say there's a lot of changing course a little bit? I just kind of asking the questions that pop into my head when I'm with my friends, a lot of difference in, in vodka quality from the kind of the high end to the low end. Okay. You're shaking your head. No. Nobody can see you. Uh, you're, you're saying do not put your, blowout budget into the most expensive vodka. You, know, you can go for a Stoli Elite or if you can go for an MH Gordon's vodka, but uh, if you put them side by side in a blind tasting, you'll never know. Vodka is <laughs> defined as an odorless, tasteless spirit. Um, that's how it should be. The only thing that's going to vary is the type of grain that is it's distilled with and how many times it is distilled itself. And let's say somebody wants to wade into the bourbon craze. What's something accessible but good that uh, will kind of open the doors for them. Yeah. Four Roses, uh, great entryway maker's mark for a weeded bourbon. Um, brands out of Heaven Hill, like Elijah Craig and Evan Williams are all good gateways into the, into the bourbon category, especially like wild turkey as well. Great. Anything else that you guys uh, would like people to know in terms of, you know, having a good time around the holidays, being a good guest, being a good host? Um, any other wines categories that you think, um, you know, are attractive right now or pe people don't know about that, that, you know, they'd enjoy? Um, well, I'd say like two of our strongest categories here at Gordon's and their wonderful gift offerings are, are Burgundy and Bordeaux. So with Burgundy, we're going to be focusing on Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, once again, especially Pinot Noir around the holidays is such a wonderful thing to offer because it can pair with a variety of different things and it's really food friendly. And also something nice too, there are certain wines out there that like aren't always great if you're just like sipping with a cocktail party because, you know, you don't always want to have a big bold red as you're like at a cocktail party because sometimes your teeth will stain and it doesn't always active <laughs> in front of others. So I always love to have like Pinot Noir as like a, more of a cocktailing wine, um, but it's also such a versatile food pairing wine as well. 
And then Bordeaux, especially as we're getting into like our roasts, um, like holiday roasts and stuff for the season, um, can just be so phenomenal. We actually have on our team at Gordon's, uh, both a Burgundy and Bordeaux specialist who travel to both areas to source some of the greatest wines from awesome producers. And the cool thing that we do is we do try to be more price accessible with both areas. So usually we can find some good quality offerings in both regions that start at $30 and go up to thousands of dollars. So there's a little something there for everyone. So here's my dumb guy confession. I stay away from French wines because the labels are intimidating yeah. compared to every other region of the world, I think. And I've heard that that does impact their their sales when they're dealing with you know American customers. I don't know if you find that true or not, yeah. but how do you navigate a, a French label? Yeah, it's confusing because of the fact that they'll put the region on the front of the label and you're supposed to just know what grapes are planted <laughs> in those yeah. regions. And so you really have to kind of get to know your geography a lot, especially with French wine. But the cool thing about it is if you like, what is your favorite, for example, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, what right. do you like to drink for red wine? Like, what's your preference? Uh, probably either a Pinot Noir or a Merlot. Okay, Like an Oregon Pinot or like a Washington Merlot. Love that. Okay. Love, love to stay in the Northwest. Um, so for like, you know, Willamette Valley Pinot Noir from Oregon, you could easily go to obviously Burgundy is going to be kind of the Mecca for Pinot Noir in France. So you could find a lot of really great offerings there. I also for domestic Pinot Noir, love the Willamette Valley and Burgundy and the Willamette are on the same latitude. And a lot of people say that the Willamette can really kind of express Pinot Noir in the same way of, of Burgundy. So you could just go directly there and find some really great offerings. For Merlot, you could find a lot of great offerings in Bordeaux. It's one of Bordeaux's most widely planted grape varietals. It doesn't say it on the front of the label, <laughs> typically. Um, so they make they make you work for it in France a little bit more. But on the left bank of like the Gironde River, it's usually more focused on Cabernet Sauvignon. So whether you're in like Saint-Estèphe or you're in Pauillac, you can usually find more Cabernet-oriented red blends, but on the right bank, so think like Saint-Emilion and Pomerol, um, some of the appellations to think of, that's more Merlot-centric, usually Merlot and Cabernet Franc. So I could take you on a little tour. Okay. I think that's the key is, yeah. you know, develop a relationship with a good store in your yeah. neighborhood, in your area, people you can rely on. You can walk in and say, hey, I want to do this. I want to try this. And, uh, you know, you'll be better off than navigating things blindly for sure. I think the cool thing about France too, is like these grapes that we all know and love Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, they all originated in France and they were brought over to whether it be California, Oregon, Washington state, Argentina. I mean, it's so interesting. So it's kind of fun to see, um, how they taste in kind of their native regions versus like how they taste when they're planted somewhere else, because, Grapes are so versatile and they're able to go so many places. Great. Thank you. And anything to, to kind of wrap up with in terms of, you know, thoughts on this topic that you want to make sure we get to? Um, in terms of like stuff for the holidays, I'd say like something else that like we can offer that I think is pretty cool um, is offering in terms of gifting, like experiences. Both Ken and myself, like both do tasting events where we like can highlight and educate customers, um, whether it's in their home or in their office, um, or really anywhere. I think that people are always yearning to learn more about these different categories. And the best way to get to learn more is through someone who's going to provide the information in a fun, enthusiastic way. And also for you to be able to have the opportunity to taste things outside of your comfort zone. 
Ken, anything you would like to add or, or wrap up with on this topic? Yeah, I always like to, you know, say, just explore, um, be curious. Um, don't always go for that one thing you drink all the time. <laughs> There's hundreds of options out there. Uh, it's a beautiful time of year. Uh, everyone's celebrating, being with family. So enjoy everyone's company. Uh, stay safe and uh, stay thirsty. So you're saying there's more to the world than all the double IPAs that seem to hit me in the face everywhere I go. That is for sure. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I love it. So if there's um, one thing you want our listeners to take away about spirits and wine this holiday season, what would it be? You may have just wrapped up with it when you said, you know, try, have fun, do, do different things. Yeah. I think that that would probably be one of the main points is the fact that like there's so much out there to experience. And, you know, I never want to make people feel uncomfortable about like trying something new, but there is like, that's a fun thing about trying something new is you can just try it. And if it doesn't work for you, you'll be okay. Yeah. And you can move on and at least know that you had that experience. Um, but it is, I think some of the most amazing like moments I've had, I know in wine is when people I'm able to showcase something that someone that they didn't think that they liked that grape or that region. And they had kind of an aha moment and it just took them on, you know, an exciting journey. Your journey with spirits and your journey with wine is exactly that. It's going to take trial and error to find where your zone is, what you like, what you don't like. You know, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and we'll find you something that you'll come home with or bring to a party that everyone will enjoy. Great. And since the name of our podcast is Wealthy Behavior, what's the best piece of financial advice you've ever received? What's one wealthy behavior that you would recommend to others? It's outside of your category, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a whiskey collector at the end of the day. So, um, being frugal when it comes to that is, is important, but you know, that's when we were saying earlier, you can always find great, great spirits, a great value that are on our shelves every day. Right. And I'd say for me, I set aside a specific amount of savings for collecting my wine just so that it doesn't get too out of control. And I try to be really like thoughtful about my wine collecting because we have a, a lot of customers who also do the same thing and they have really great strategies that they've built to manage their collections and um, just do that in a thoughtful way spending their money. So that's a topic for another day. Yes, that's a topic for another day. Thank you so much, Chelsea and Ken. We right. uh, had a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners will find it really informative and uh, helpful to have fun as they get into the holidays. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at wealthybehavior at heritagefinancial.net. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakavis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.